Isaac Mizrahi burst onto the fashion scene in 1987 and quickly became a favorite with fashion editors, movie stars, and fashionistas. Although he's continued to have his hand in fashion, judging on Project Runway All-Stars and with his lines for Target and QVC, his primary passion is cabaret performance, which he's been pursuing since the mid-1990s. Mizrahi's shows combine stand-up comedy, the great American songbook, Flirting Like Mad, asides about sex and swag. Yes, there is often a giveaway at some time during his shows. I caught up with this very busy man the week after his performance of Isaac Mizrahi Presents Queen Size at Bay Street Theater in the Hamptons. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I asked Isaac Mizrahi if people are surprised by his multiple directions of creativity. People are very surprised by it, yeah. Um, people are surprised because usually um, usually artists kind of back into licensing and they, you know, kind of start as like an actor or a singer or something and then they... And then they sort of sign a license to make dresses or to, you know, to like sort of design sheets or something. Whereas I am coming from it the opposite way, you know, and, and it's you so You actually funny. are a designer. I am a designer. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, mean, I don't I'm a mean designer. to get nasty. No, no, don't worry about it. I, I'm a designer and um, a trained, you know, sort of performer as well. So it's really like a hard thing to say what I am. You know, I don't call myself anything. It's, I don't like multi-hyphenates either. And also, I don't even think of myself as an artist or something. I just think of myself as a person mm. and, um, and, 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 and a real type A person too. You know, um, like when I make clothes or when I am working with my band or when I'm like on stage, I'm very opinionated and kind of like involved in every single way. You know, I also just wrote a book, um, a memoir called I Am. And, you know, um, it got very, very good reviews and it was on the New York Times bestseller list and I was very proud of it. And it took me like five years. And I worked with a great editor and a ghost editor, you know, someone I sent it to who gave me a few notes here and there. But I feel very responsible for having written that book, you know, because I did write it. And, um, and so... And so I don't exactly know what it's about. I just like to work in these different things, and I just do. I, I you know, and, and and the thing is, like, my best friend in the world is Mark Morris, who's a genius choreographer, and he's like the epitome of kind of you know a person who does one thing. You know, he like has a company. They take class together every day. He gives them class mostly every day. They travel around the world doing these incredible shows. And by the way, you should talk to him because he is the greatest musician who ever lived, I think. But but anyway, so he's my best friend. And the thing is, he is literally like, the, he is like the master of something, you know, where I am not exactly a master of something, you know. And it has given me, I, I have almost a little chip on my shoulder about it, you know, um, because of this, the way that everybody is kind of raised in the world. Everybody is told like, yeah, yeah, you better kind of narrow it down and do one thing. And I did, you know, for a long time I thought, okay, I'm going to narrow it down and be a fashion designer, right? But then eventually it's this thing that gnaws at you, you know? And I also think that um, like 
to me, doing the same exact thing every single day can be a bit of a bore. And I find that, you know, I'm in the second half of my life or something, and I'm, and I'm, I'm kind of emerging now more as a performer than I am as a designer. And it's really interesting and I'm never bored. You know, I'm, mm. I'm not as bored. You know, I know people who've been doing the same thing for a million years. And even if it's incredible and brilliant, you know, there's always like this little complaint about like, oh God, I can't believe I have to do it again, you know? And it gets more and more complicated and more and more, usually hopefully, if it becomes more and more complex and interesting, you know, um, and sometimes a little boring. So I don't know if I'm going to have to, you know, deal with some of that. I feel pretty, oh so pretty. I feel pretty and witty and bright. And I pity anyone who isn't me tonight. I feel charming, oh so charming. It's alarming how charming I feel And so pretty That I hardly can believe I'm real See that pretty guy in the mirror there Who can that attractive guy be? Such a pretty face, such a pretty suit Such a pretty smile, such a pretty me I feel stunning and entrancing like running and dancing for joy For I'm loved by a pretty wonderful boy I feel pretty, oh, oh, so pretty I feel pretty and witty and bright And I pity anyone who isn't me tonight I feel charming, oh, so charming It's a lie how charming I feel and so pretty that I hardly can believe I'm real see the pretty boy in the mirror there who can that attractive guy be such a pretty face such a pretty suit such a pretty smile such a pretty me I feel stunned and entrancing like running and dancing for joy For I'm loved by a pretty wonderful boy For I'm loved by a pretty wonderful boy My guest, cabaret performer, fashion designer, and all-around fun guy, Isaac Mizrahi, performing at the Cafe Carlisle in Manhattan. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Isaac and I discuss the different ways people focus on their art. It's such a funny life I have, and I don't, I don't dislike any part of it, mm. I have to say. But of course, like everybody in the world, I have my insecurities and I have my like kind of sensitive areas, right? Like, you know, sometimes I feel as though, you know... Um, Perhaps, oh, and I'm obsessed with obituaries. Like we could talk about obituaries from now till like next week. And Why? I won't be finished. Because, you know, it's this kind of like an obituary is something that someone writes after you're dead. So you don't really have a chance to kind of like contest it and go like, whoa, wait a second. A, you got this wrong. Or B, 
you know, that's how you perceived my life. That's not what my life was about to me. That's you know? the point. That's the point. And so like, you know, a lot of times I, I, I freak out when I see obits of people and I think like, oh my God, right? I always use this one example of the obit from Marlon Brando. I don't know if you remember it. It was on the cover of the Times, of course, Marlon Brando. And the headline of the obit was something like, you know, Marlon Brando, comma, and I'm really, you know, paraphrasing now. I don't remember what it was. Something about how, like, he didn't live up to his potential. Oh, or he didn't, no. Yeah, something like that. Or who didn't, who didn't, who never kind of, who never complied Fulfilled with, like, yeah, exactly. In some way. In some way. It'd be really interesting to Google that. But yeah. the point was, and I thought, like, if anyone was able to reinvent himself, like, 150 times, it was Marlon Brando. Even if part of that was getting, like, enormously fat and appearing, like, in, you know, right. The Godfather or something. Or, you know, you know what I mean. Like, in the I know 50s, exactly he was what you in mean. The 70s, and then he began to do, like, self parody ish things. Yeah. So you, go, you look at that and you go, like, oh, that. Jesus. And by the way, like, my shrink tells me, you know, really, you're a bit like you'll be dead. So you won't give a damn, you know, which is the truth. But, but no, at the same I'm time, getting you know your what point. I mean. What yeah, I'm point feeling is- from this is because I, I relate with what you're saying, because mm-hmm. I've gone off and done all kinds of things and find that feeds me and it mm-hmm. calms me, keeps yeah. me interested. And but, also, you know, the creative ego is a big part of, like, you can't really say the word creative without the word ego somehow. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, when you appear at a club and it doesn't sell out, it's like, oh, okay, I guess y'all don't love me that much and I'll just sing. And, you know, I mean, and you get over it, you do a great show. But, you know, it's like no, it's, it's great really... when your show sells out. It's great when you get a fantastic review as opposed to them saying, well, you know, like maybe a few more years and he'll be ready for prime time, you know, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, 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 and I, you know, and by the way, one thing that's great as a fashion designer, it's like a training ground for the ego, you know, it's because you get, you have like so many shows every year. You have like literally like four major shows that you can think of off the top of your head. And then you have like so many little shows. And so at some point, someone's writing something about your work, you know, and a lot of times it's not so nice, right? One thing I will say is that if they write something that's not so nice about a dress or a collection, it's a little easier to take than if they write something about, you know, your stage persona or the way you sing, you know? So again, I'm serious. Like I don't, and I have some, I have friends who are like, you know, like, I mean, Steve Sondheim is one of my friends. And, you know, he's like, he is, you know, you think if anyone can afford to be like just soaring above the rest of us, you know. <laughs> I know Sondheim. what you're going to say. Yeah. And he is even uh, now, he's like, he's always at the mercy of of his creative ego. And without it, I don't think he would still be, and he's still writing amazing stuff. I don't know if you saw, um, there was a reading of the show that was called originally Bounce, and now it's called Roadshow. And it, I'm telling you, there are songs in there that'll just make you cry. They're incredible. And you know, the man is like 88 or 89 years old already. And I'm, <laughs> I know it has to do with the fact that he's so insecure. You know, it's like the only way to create things is to like keep that like crazy insecure. Yeah, but do we, yes, that's what I was yeah. going to say. Because yeah. I think that, that that is the challenge to balance an appropriate level of insecurity to yeah. keep you going yeah. without it hobbling you. Mm-hmm. I, I went to see Barbara Cook at Lincoln Center uh, when she had her 80th uh, birthday. And I knew the conductor. So mm-hmm. I went, I was sitting in the right spot, went right backstage. So I was the first person she saw, not mm-hmm. knowing I was going to wind up. I didn't know it. 
and she saw me and something about our energy made her come right over to me. Mm-hmm. And I told her how moving this was, what it meant to me, how inspiring it was. Mm-hmm. I didn't gush, but I was right. serious about what I felt about it. Yes. And she said, really? She said, what did you think about the second tune and the, and the blah, blah, blah? She, oh, I didn't even say God. I was a mu- musician, well, but she was asking me about the balance of the strings. Somehow from what I'd said, she knew I was a musician. And she didn't seem neurotic. Mm-hmm. She just seemed serious yeah, about right. of the music. Course, of course, and, of course. And I have to tell you that what two things strike me, that people find this so unusual uh-huh. a person who is interested in so many areas of creativity yeah. and that they fight it in some way because there mm-hmm. will be, well, why don't you just focus on this? Oh, yeah, you... absolutely. Yeah. And the fact that a person can also be made, and you can tell me if this has happened to you, to feel bad about being driven productive, all of these things. Like you're the first person, and I've told you almost 20 years of doing this, mm-hmm. who sat down and we talked a little bit. Then you said, I, I just want to make sure, when are we starting? Yeah. And oh, I didn't, well. I wasn't offended. I didn't think that, right, I think you're busy. Yeah, well, And busy. you have places to go. Exactly. But you're a person, I'm the same way. We have right. things, and a person who accomplishes a lot mm-hmm. is a person who's keeping track. You were a few minutes early for this. Right. You'd never be late, right. I can tell. <laughs> but people, people can can be critical of that. Yeah, I mean, I I've had people be critical of me. So I'm wondering, are they with you? Oh, you're too driven. Oh, Why don't course. you relax? Of course, what, of course. Does it make people feel guilty when they run into somebody Maybe. who is productive? Maybe. And often, I wish I could be less, less kind of insane. Do you really? Yes, I do. I notice, for instance, like some of the musicians I work with, mm. incredible musicians, and they get there exactly at the time of the rehearsal or slightly late. And I'm like, well, well uh, and you're about to complain, but you go, really, it's like seven minutes late. How can you say like, how dare you be seven minutes mm. late to rehearsal? Mm. Um, but I like it because I think, God, they're not freaking out about, they're not, you know, they don't have uh, insom- I'm insomniac. But it's I not am, their like, show. That's a big difference because yeah. I feel that about sidemen too. Every now and uh, then I'll, yeah. I'll envy them because they right. also eat a lot before the gig. I, I know. Eat. And they drink their heads oh, off. Oh, no, and they I'm do like, it. Wow. And at the reception, no one's talking to them. <laughs> right. So they well, get to eat and we're talking to for everybody. For instance, at, um, at Bay Street recently, mm. that show, you know, we had we had a, a good long rehearsal before the show, which is annoying because, you know, your voice is so tired and, you know, right. But it's fine. It, it worked out. It worked out very well. But there was an arrangement of this Burt Bacharach tune, right, that we do that's not easy. Burt Bacharach is not easy, right? But I love it. I love it most. I love Burt Bacharach so much. But anyway, the point is that um, that there was a, a horn part, Benny Benack III, you know who he is? He's so talented. He's also like a doll. I love working with him and I consider him like a really good friend and I love him. And he, 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 we, we went over the, um, the end. There's a part of the arrangement at the end that I was kind of counting on him to kind of hit for me so that I wouldn't f*** up, right? And we did it like three or four times. It was like, yeah, no problem, no problem. And I thought, yeah, no problem. Like, just make a note, write it down on your chart, you know? And then, of course, at the show, he blew it. He blew it. And it was my fault because I'm not the professional jazz musician to those people. And by the way, no one noticed it. It was totally- But you noticed. noticed. I noticed. And of course, it's my fault because he's the professional jazz musician. So if anyone's making a mistake, it's the dilettante jazz musician. You know, and by the way, speaking of creative ego, you get what I'm talking about. I know I- 
I'm, I relate with all of this. <laughs> I relate with all of this. Right. And you brought me a very interesting list of inspirations. I did? Which, yeah, you did. Because, well, well, you talked about Blossom Deary. Yeah. This is a fun oh, exercise for me because I ask people to give me, to narrow mm-hmm. it down to five things. That's very hard for us music lovers. It's very hard. Very hard. Excuse, but excuse Blossom yeah. Deary is a very interesting, was a very interesting character and... I love her too. Now, what about Blossom inspires you or do you really love about Blossom? I love Blossom. One, the quality of her voice. It has, I don't know, a soothing effect on me personally. It almost sounds like um, an infant or something, like a tiny little child Mm -hmm. singing. And that has a very soothing effect on me. But also her piano playing just is so incredibly minimal, if you will. And, And it's always just like it goes for something. She's always like inventing something in this minimal way. Also, she's so laid back. <laughs> and you know, like occasionally I try, I kind of emulate an, an, an one of the arrangements or just, I want to go for a vibe, a kind of a Blossom Deary vibe. And I always overreach and I always oversing and I always overdo. And then you think, well, no, Blossom would like literally whisper that little song and it would be so much better. Anywhere, it would be better on a recording, better in a club. It's always going to be better if you l- do less, you know, yes. But you're always tempted to go for something <laughs> on stage, especially, you know. And so that's what's inspiring about Blossom, how incredibly understated she is. There's a saying old says that love is blind. Still we're often told, seek and ye shall find. So I'm going to seek a certain lad I've had in mind Looking everywhere, haven't found him yet He's the big affair I cannot forget Only man I ever think of with regret Some girls 
I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm talking with fashion designer, jazz musician, Isaac Mizrahi. And one of my good friends is Ethan Iverson. I don't know if you know who he is. Ethan is an amazing, amazing jazz musician. He was the leader of this great trio called The Bad Plus, and I can't believe I didn't mention them as one of my five tops because they are definitely in my five top. The oh, Bad Plus. Well, you're mentioning Reed them Anderson. Now. And yeah, they're incredible. Anyway, so Ethan's a friend of mine. And once in a funny like charity auction, you got to bid on a lesson, a piano lesson from Ethan. And I bid on it and I won it for, you know, whatever it was. And he came over and I, he gave me this piano lesson. I mean, it was mostly about how to physically attack a piano because when you're taught how to play classical music. It's not exactly, at least when you're a kid, you know, I studied it for about 10 years. I had lessons for about 10 years. And like, it was a terrible teacher. She was just terrible, this woman. And it wasn't about like the physical address of the piano, Mm. as I think it probably should be. I don't care how young you're studying. Mm -hmm. It's about the body applying itself, not the fingers, right? Mm -hmm. And this was what Ethan was trying to get across to me. Like that was the whole hour. Like it was really about how I was kind of, you know, using my shoulders and my hands and my legs and my torso and my core, you know? And it was just a funny thing to like, after years of like this (laughs) piano teacher, like, oh, you go back and do that scale 350 times or whatever Uh... it is, you know, that, that arpeggio, you miss one of the notes. I mean, you know, it was a very, very kind of a crazy anal way of approaching teaching the piano. Whereas with Ethan, it's not about that. It's about the music that comes from the piano. Absolutely, yeah.
Ethan Iverson on I'm Getting Sentimental Over You. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway and Sons and from East Hampton Indoor Tennis, eight indoor and 20 outdoor courts in a quiet, beautiful park-like setting. Visit ehit.ws for more information. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can listen to podcasts of Jazz Inspired on Apple Music or wherever you get your podcasts. And email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Stride Queen. Additional support for Jazz Inspired is provided by Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970. On the web at jazztimes.com. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Sag Main Salon, providing eco-friendly nail and hair care in a relaxed, light-filled, cozy environment that replenishes you inside and out. Visit S-A-G-M-A-N-E-S-A-L-O-N.com. I'll be appearing at Steinway Hall in Manhattan for my annual Champagne Fundraiser for Jazz Inspired. I'll have special guests Ben Patterson, Harry Allen, and Chris Flory, and many others. Visit the events page at judycarmichael.com for details. We are funded primarily by your donations, so please visit jazzinspired.com to chip in and keep us on air. 2020 marks our 20th year, and we need your support to make it all happen. Thank you. Isaac Mizrahi is best known as a fashion designer, but he considers himself first and foremost a jazz musician. His major passion is cabaret performing, which is what we focused on when we got together in Manhattan last month. I asked him about his latest interest, songwriting. I loved your version of You're the Top, and I have to tell you, you made mention of the Pritzker Prize. Now, I have to say... Very few people are going to put the Pritzker Prize in a tune, <laughs> well, and I also, totally dug it. I was I like, know. I get also it, like baby. By the way, I mean, like you know, oh no, by the way, it was just so great because Thank it's you. those are those things that all your different creative 
influences come in. I had Gene Bertoncini on many, many years ago, the wonderful guitarist, Uh and he has an architecture degree. And we talked at length about Mm -hmm. the fact of his arrangements were very architectural, which right. I felt. And he said, did you know I have an architecture degree? And I said, well, well, well you obviously see. it came through. There are these beautiful, he's a jazz musician, mm-hmm. but you saw the beautiful construction. That's what's always come across with him. So I loved it. I thought, Pritzker Prize, right. Well, baby. I think it rhymes with like, Beyonce's thighs. I, know, I forgot I what it, it rhymes with, but it, it rhymes with something. And I was like, oh, thighs, prize. I mean, it was just a secondly, you know, like a second thought. Yes, but was. two people in your audience knew exactly. Prize. <laughs> Actually, you'd be surprised. I have so many friends well, you have who so like, many designers. are vying for, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I loved um, it. And that was your show at uh, the Carlisle right. that I got this track oh, right. from that I just loved. And I want to talk about just creating your show because just personally, I remember you in the early years when I was a fan of your designs and Mm -hmm. everything, and I'd see you interviewed, and now I could be completely wrong, and I'm Mm -hmm. sure I am probably, Mm -hmm. but I I would see other people in fashion interviewed. Mm -hmm. I mean, this long before talking cabaret or anything. This is just you, Isaac Mizrahi, being interviewed somewhere on Mm -hmm. TV. You were funny and you were natural. And I was already doing comedic acting and shows myself. And I thought, well, this guy's a comedian. He's a natural. He's really funny. Thank you. I was seeing this and I was thinking, have I ever heard anybody else in fashion be funny? Right. It's not the funniest thing. Fashion is not the funniest thing. Okay, so I'm right in that. Um, Yes. I mean... I mean, I'm sure there's funny people. There are definitely... the interviews were all, I'm taking myself very seriously. And there are people whose clothes are rather funny, like a good friend of mine called Franco Moschino, who's not alive anymore. And also, you know... No, there um, were funny designs. Scaparelli was a wit herself. And I bet... I think she was quite funny. I mean, that was like in the 30s and 40s we're talking about. but. Um, 1930s and mm-hmm. 40s, by but the way. But even yeah. talking about about fashion and just your yeah. whole your whole vibe and attitude was so natural and wonderful. And I'm curious about that being something that's obviously fun think, for you, you know, that then now, developed into yeah, performing. I, I have to say, I think that now um, it is it is it's more allowed to be funny now Mm. since social media. I mean, social media is a confounding thing, but it is nothing if it's not funny, you know, like, and literally like even the most sort of terse news site has something kind of humorous about it. So I'm glad about that. And I notice more and more like fashion has a sense of humor about itself. And I will say this, like, you know, um, in 1997 or seven or six or seven, maybe even earlier, there was a movie about me called Unzipped, and I'm not sure if you ever saw it, but that was a funny movie. No, I know? remember like, that was yeah, that was people, the thing that I was exactly. thinking. Wow! And 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 the the audience, the world audience, really loved it. It was a kind of like a hit movie, you know, that nobody expected. It was like it didn't cost anything. It, we just made that movie, and it was a big hit. And the thing is, because it was funny. There was like it was there was like there was a little unrest about it, but ultimately it was a mad a, a mad success because people outside of the realm of those people in fashion who like wouldn't be funny and took themselves so seriously, you know, like um, they appreciated it, you know. And I remember like 
I don't know, I would meet like a writer who I really respected or a performer and they'd say, oh man, you're funny. And I'd be like, thanks, you know, no big news, but to me, but thank you. I mean, like there's nothing if not, for me, it's like all about being funny. And a lot of times I think my set is better. The patter is better because like, that's what I really, that's, I'm not kidding. That's where I really feel like I'm connecting a lot of the time is when I talk to the audience. It's also just more connected. I think- Mm -hmm. You consider yourself a jazz musician. I do. You know, Ben Waltzer, who is like God to me. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a great, great musician. And he's like my accompanist and my arranger. And he like is incredible. And I worked on a show with Ben that was that played on Off-Broadway. And it wasn't a jazz club. It wasn't originally intended to be a cabaret-ish set. It was more of a show. And it was written like every word I said was from a script. And it had like lighting cues and a set and set things that happened on the set and projections and, you know, this jazz trio. Mm -hmm. It was Ben and this wonderful bass fiddle player who moved away a long time ago called Nick Tease, who was very handsome, tall, blonde guy. And Joe Strasser. That was mm-hmm. the trio every night for months, like almost a year we played in that small wow. room. Yeah, we played in this very small theater called, it was at the time the drama department. Uh-huh. Yeah. And now it's, I forgot the name of the theater anyway. But so, and one of the most important, I got pretty good reviews for that show. Mm-hmm. And it was sold, we sold a lot of tickets, you know, for the course of those months. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was one of the happiest periods of my life. The one review that I got for that show that actually influenced me was from The New Yorker, right? And it wasn't a massive review. It was like a little tiny, you know... Uh, Those little mentions. The little mentions yep. in the front. And I think I know who wrote it. I can never be sure about it, but I recognize her style. And mm-hmm. she's a friend of mine and I love her. Mm-hmm. And she, I'm not going to mention her name, but I think that she wrote it. And she, it was such a smart thing. She said, yeah, the show is pretty good, but he's so good when he's not scripted. I knew you, know? you were going to yeah. say that. And yeah. so, you know, like that was like... I suspected it. And you know, the thing is like about criticism, if you say something smart to me, you know, I mean, if you say something smart to me, I will listen. You know, if I read something about my work that's smart, then I'll listen, you know? Um, and that was such a smart thing. And it was like, well, I wish he had come to the previews and told me that before the show. You know, <laughs> before but, you tortured exactly, yourself with a script. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, at the same time, it was really great to know. And after that, I took club dates much more seriously. You know, I, beca- I thought like, oh, well, in that case, you know, because when you're doing a show in a theater, there mm. are light cues, there are sets, there are things that have to move. There are managers that are freaking out if you don't say exactly what is written on the page and you get notes about it after. Really, I'm mm-hmm. not kidding. Whereas like if you're in a club, people encourage you to just like literally do whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so I feel like, you know, I'm finally getting the knack of preparing in exactly the right way. And by the way, the music is always prepared to a massive degree. We, we rehearse a lot for shows. But that is how we, how we communicate the Jews, right? We just complain. We don't, we don't really say things. We just complain to them. It's a kind of a right that we have. Right? Good morning. Good morning. Right? It comes out like a good morning. Right? Good morning. Good morning. So it's like you just answer, just take the phrase and turn it into a question. How was lunch? How was lunch? This is my song. And no one can take it away. It's been so long. 
now you're here, here to stay. guest, Isaac Mizrahi, from his show at the Cafe Carlisle in New York City. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Just to give you a little history, I went to performing arts high school. I went to yeshiva, which was the worst place in the world, this yeshiva. And then finally, there was a really smart teacher who convinced my parents to let me go to the city, to because we grew up in Brooklyn, right? In an Orthodox Jewish community. The whole right? thing, right? Yeah. And, um, and I was... Then, all of a sudden, at the age of 13 on 46th Street, you know, at Performing Arts High School, right? And it was this crazy thing. And I, I, I think it was a combination of knowing that my parents were squeamish about, you know, my going into the performing arts. Mm. It was a combination of that plus the fact, plus the fact that I was... I was a fat kid. And mm. so like, you know, I didn't think of myself as, an, as a yeah. movie star, a movie star material, even like a performer. I thought, you know, a performer has to be like good looking and tall and, and skinny has and skinny. all that. Exactly. Yeah. So I never thought, so that's why I, between like my parents kind of feeling a little bit kind of squeamish about it and my own fear of going out there with my own personality, you know, I, I, I always think of it as almost like, you know, a retreat to fashion, to something like kinder and gentler, like fashion. I mean, that's ironic in itself. Um, but I, it, for some reason, because my dad was in the children's wear business and because it was a New York-based thing, I felt a little bit more comfortable about becoming a fashion designer, you know? 
And so that's what I did. But I always had in the back of my brain that it would be this kind of crazy, I don't know, like a vehicle or something for me to just, first of all, get myself out of my mom's house, which was a definite like priority at the time, right? It seemed that it would be easier to get a job anyway and a more steady kind of lifestyle as a fashion designer or an assistant fashion designer, Um because I was already doing, I was already like selling sketches, you know, or like I made puppet shows at birthday parties for little kids. I mean, I was really industrious, right? And so I did all that. And so it didn't seem wrong to me. It seemed right to me to do this, to go into fashion, right? And then like, but there was always in the back of my brain, like someday, darling, someday you're going to focus and just be in show business, Mm. you know, like that's what's, that's going to be. So you you knew all along. I mean, I kind of did, but you know, like, it's so interesting that you pose that as a thought, like that it was actually architected, because I never think it, I always think of it as something that if I did end up in in show business, it took way too long. You know, it's like... Well, I don't, <laughs> but I mean, I think about it, I, I've mentioned this before on this show, because it had such meaning for me. One of my first big supporters when I came to New York was Milton Glaser. Oh, right. And Milton said that the creation of his career was as creative as anything that right. he ever did. Yeah. And for those who don't know who Milton Glaser was, I guess the most famous thing would be that he did I Heart New right. York. Exactly. But and fam- also you know, like every cigarette box you've ever oh, seen. Oh, yeah, and, every, the, and the Bob yeah. Dylan yes, um, yes, yes, uh, yes. Uh, cover on that album. Mm-hmm. But the reason I mention it is because I was thinking not of it being um, preconceived, but that the, the great creative people that I've been fortunate to meet or spend time with mm-hmm. have had, have been very industrious, mm-hmm. have gone off on these things, but they've also been very aware of what I found very significant that you said when people say something that's smart, oh, because yeah. I've always said that when people tell me something about my music after a concert, it generally tells me more about them than it does about me. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, I've been doing this a long time, all of us at this yes. point. But every now and then somebody says something completely surprising. And I'll go, wow, that's really interesting. I will pursue that. Or that is in my music and I didn't realize it was. Or someone says, have you ever thought of doing so-and-so? And And you go, wow, that's really in whatever that Mm -hmm. is. And the people that I've known as they are creating this life along the way, they're hyper aware. Mm -hmm. Creative people are and looking Mm -hmm. out or should be. And they take that in. They think, that's an interesting path. Yeah. There I'll go. And with you, I feel like it's you coming back to something you wanted to do, but different things made you feel that you maybe shouldn't or couldn't along yeah. the way. I mean, I have to say, I think that, you know, there are a lot of different approaches. You know, like some people completely do nothing and they are so great. You know what I mean? Like, I know exactly. They don't mean to be great. They don't think they're doing anything great and they're great. And everybody finds out because the world is desperate for good stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right? Am I right about that? Like, it's so funny. Did you ever notice that about like... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've seen it all the time. We've all seen it. So I think that it's being accepting that there are lots of different ways to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of the process, the kind of brain you have, and yeah. that kind of thing. Here's a really good song. And it's kind of my favorite show tune. I think just based on the title, You're the Top. I mean, what's not to like, right? 
and I've taken the liberty of writing a few new lyrics to this, okay? Just to bring it up to date just a little bit. You count us in, will you give us a good tempo, please, Pam? At words poetic, I'm just pathetic when remaking a classic song. And yet it's something that's very strong. It can go long and end up long. When it's on order to change Cole Porter, I'll intrepidly sing the bar. And if this ditty gets way less witty, at least we can laugh at how loose we are. You're the top. You're Rihanna's glamour. You're the top. You are army hammer. You're a sniff of coke. You're a tiny toke of grass. You're a trip on Molly, a border collie. You're J-Lo's ass. You're a dish, a sustainable food chain. You're my wish for a private airplane. I'm a deviant act, alternative fact, a swap. But if baby, I'm the bottom, you're the top. That's scary, that makes me wary It's the man with the orange face Who is insulting to every race So is his face, they're just commonplace His sense of humor is like a tumor And his golfing way over par The mad world wrecker, his tiny pecker By comparison should show you how huge you are You're the top You're the national archives You're the top you are Andy's housewives. You're a flask of gin. You're Beyonce's winning thighs. You're a tortellini, a dry martini, a Pritzker prize. You're sublime. You're a Russian spy cam. You're the rhyme. In a Jay-Z Def Jam. I'm the Rust Belt Rats. The Democrats can't stop. But if baby, I'm the bottom, you're the top. My guest, Isaac Mizrahi, recorded live at the Cafe Carlisle in New York City. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. We took a little break here and had a little aside off mic. Oh, yeah. And I said something about someone very famous who will remain nameless on this show, who is great at what they do, uh, but hates hates the main thrust of what they do. Right, of course. But I think that I think that, that is a massive, massive part of everybody who does what they do. Like, I, if you talk to Mark Morris about dance, he hates dance. Are you kidding me? He absolutely hates it. That's why he does it, because he's trying to make it something okay, you know? That's fascinating, I like Andre fashion. Agassi. Darling, I hate fashion. Andre Agassi hates tennis. People hate stuff, right? That's why you're so good at it. That's why you do it ad nauseum until you, your brain is going to explode. I mean, I think it's a very, very important thing to be like hyper, hyper critical of. Uh, and that, yeah. yeah, no, I can see that yeah, because there's definitely, sure. I wake up and, and, and will feel, I cannot believe I'm doing this. I was just traveling and I was thinking, I was in the city that I've read you really love, Minneapolis. I do I was there a couple of days yeah. ago and I woke up to, and before the morning of the concert and I thought, I cannot believe I'm doing this. And then of course it was a great concert and I had a ball. Right. But so, but that's interesting. That's I mean, one different. of my good friends is Dale Peck. Do you know who that is? He's I a don't. really good writer. And he liter- and he writes also a lot of literary criticism and he mm. hates every single book. <laughs> Literally hates like... <laughs> 
you name it. He hates like J.D. Salinger, okay? Like he hates everything. So I agree with that. I think that's the smart way to go. Oh, that is hilarious. It's hilarious. But you love performing. I love performing. There you go. I mean, I love performing because it's ridiculous. I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing you could possibly think of to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to bring up because in your list of songs that have inspired you, you brought up one that no one has mentioned on this show that is one of the first Bill Evans recordings I ever heard. And I love that movie too. And I remember the theme from the movie, Mm -hmm. the theme, the love theme from Spartacus. Talk about this track because I'm I'm so happy I get a chance to play it. It's the most incredible track. First of all, it's him playing the piano with himself. Did you? you Yeah, yeah. And that was the first time I heard somebody do something like, because that was relatively new to do that kind of thing. And, you know, there's something so like um, forward- progressive about it, it comes across as like the most progressive thing because it's not progressive at all. It's just the melody that is, it's kind of a great melody. It's so great that he'd be at the movies. You you just assume like, how did this happen? He went to see Spartacus and that theme like sort of stuck in his head and he started playing the piano and then it, it multiplied and there are two pianos and that's it. Two pianos, both of which he plays. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. 
My guest, Isaac Mizrahi, is best known for his fashion designs, but has also been celebrated for his cabaret performances, which combine his great wit and his love for the great American songbook. He's now jumped into lyric writing. I commented that his great command of language and love for words makes him a natural lyricist. I was reading, I can't remember the novelist, but he said when students come to him and they say, because everybody wants to be a novelist, and he says, and his response will always be, do you like sentences? Oh, right, exactly. Isn't that beautiful? Who doesn't love sentences? Well, no, but a lot of people don't. They don't even think about it. Right. Right. And that's what I mean. You're yeah. a word lover. So I writing love lyrics. words. Right. I adore words. I mean, sometimes I say that I became, I learned how to cook because I was watching TV one day and the word, when I was a kid, literally six years old or seven years old, and I was watching Julia Child and she said the word saute. And I was like, that's the greatest <gasps> word. And I looked it up in the encyclopedia and there was like a step-by-step thing. And that's how I learned how to saute. Because you like the word. I swear to you, I love the word. (laughs) It is a very sexy word. But also the word taffeta. I became a fashion designer, I swear. Because my mother would talk to me about clothes all the time. And the word taffeta would like ring through my head like a crazy, you know. It's another beautiful word. I know taffeta, right? It's beautiful. And I I, I used to pronounce it taffeta when I saw that. And I was like, no, it's fine. I am allowed to say taffeta if I want to. That's crazy. That sounds like a pasta. (laughs) It also sounds like like a disorder. You know, like to say <laughs> that poor man died of tefeta. <laughs> exactly, right, right, right. But well, you are fabulous. I know how busy you are. You. Thank you so oh, much for doing thank you. this. You're fabulous. This thank was you, great you. fun. Great. Yeah, it was. Thank you. You've been listening to my conversation with Isaac Mizrahi. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can download free podcasts of Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired from all the usual podcast platforms or listen at jazzinspired.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD trio. I'm on piano with my Cashem on sax and Chris Flory on guitar. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway and Sons and from Sag Harbor Florist. Visit sagharborflorist.net. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Stride Queen. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is also sponsored in part by Page at 63 Main in Sag Harbor, New York, serving organic microgreens and vegetables grown on their own energy-efficient indoor and outdoor aquaponic farms. Better taste, happier planet. Visit Page at 63 Main at opentable.com. Today's guest, Isaac Mizrahi, and I each work with the great bassist, Neil Miner, who was our matchmaker for today's interview. Thank you, Neil, for getting us together. For more information, visit jazzinspired.com or judycarmichael.com.